0: Hey friends, happy Thursday and welcome back to the Embodied podcast. So it's been a bit since I recorded a podcast on here. Um, long story short, I spilled some tea on my laptop and so was going through the repair process of getting my laptop repaired and so um, I lost a few episodes that I had recorded to post. Um, for you guys. So I would like to thank all of you guys out there who are regular listeners for the patience in this process. I know last month I was traveling a lot and didn't record a lot of podcasts and then this month having this You know, debacle with the tea incident on my computer. Um, But today, I recorded an episode with my partner, Rick Alexander, talking about the nuanced complexity of working with projection and the topic of complexes, its connection to trauma, and this idea that we can only love love to the extent in which our complexes. are are conscious so we're loving people around our complexes and what that really means this conversation we circle around a lot of similar ideas but say them in different ways and so as with all deep end podcasts that rick and i record this is really just a conversation with us trying to figure out what the heck that we mean um it's kind of sophisticating our morning conversations so i hope to have my, my real computer back um, by this weekend and have more episodes for you Sunday and Thursday as usual back to the regular schedule but thank you guys for your patience and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode.
1: Alright, welcome back to The Deep End Podcast with myself, Rick Alexander, and my partner, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Danielle, thanks for joining me. Yeah, yeah. So, in conversation just a couple of days ago, you said something, and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but you said something along the lines of, we can only love people around our complexes. And that struck me as true, and the more that I've sat with it, the more true it really does feel to me. So I thought in this episode what we could do is and you know these deep end episodes just for the listener if this is the first time you've listened to one it's not like we have a real agenda i mean we, we have an idea that we want to circle around but we don't exactly know where they're going so we're just going to explore this idea uh, of love and complexes and so maybe we can start by talking about what a complex is and and how we understand them and i have a professor who was teaching my uh Jungian psychology class and he's a Jungian himself a Jungian analyst and one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me was the idea we were talking about complexes and archetypes particularly and he said you know no Jungian really knows what these are you know so don't worry if you feel confused about them you know everyone has a definition of what an archetype is and Jung himself has many definitions he tried many times to kind of expand and clarify what it was he was talking about
0: and it changes
1: and it changes so
0: much throughout like the early part of the collected works the end of the collected works about what complex is and what an archetype is Mm. so i totally agree with your professor on that
1: yeah and and the point was not that like we don't know but just if you really start to get down to the nitty-gritty it starts to become kind of gray because we're talking about you know we're we're trying to create language for the movement of psyche you know and that's that's what that's what we're doing when we talk about a complex or an archetype and um,
0: yeah it's a, it's a conceptual language yes. and i think it's really important to remember that at least how i see complexes in my perspective it seems like this kind of spontaneous emotion that comes up from the unconscious around a particular pattern you know it could be a pattern associated with the feminine it could be a pattern associated around food we're talking about complexes yeah, yeah so it's an emotion that spontaneously comes up it almost like how i think of complexes are um there is this propensity to be kind of gripped from underneath So it kind of gets us from underneath or gets us from behind. And we have this welling up of of raw emotion and it's around a particular pattern. And it's interesting because emotions themselves also are experiential. They're not conceptual. Mm -hmm. So the moment you try to conceptualize an emotional experience, It feels different.
1: You're removed from the reality of the experience.
0: I think the same thing could be said about a complex because it is around an an embodied emotional experience. And typically you can tell that you're in the grip of a complex when you feel as if there's something that's happening that you don't feel quite like yourself and there's almost this flooding of either emotions, ideas, thoughts, um, to me behaviors, it's... yeah, that grip you. That that there's an autonomous nature to the complex. So, so the complex has an autonomy, and you feel like your I, your ego, is being gripped, pulled in tension with something, and so. Um, Let's try to at least anchor a root in the the experiential um, part of the complex as opposed to just the conceptual.
1: Yeah, right. Okay. So I mean, I, I tend to know that I'm in the grip of a complex because I feel a really strong emotional pull toward a certain toward a certain something, right. So like I feel really emotionally, strongly about being right about this argument or something Mm -hmm. like that tends to be or or i feel a disproportionate emotional reaction to something that's happening in the external world Mm -hmm. um and paul young eisendroth talks about complexes as being like tangled knots of emotions around certain ideas Mm-hmm. And then what happens is when those ideas, when the complex is constellated, is the term they use when it, when it kind of comes online and grips you from behind, it tends to be that you are the developmental age of whenever the complex was formed until mm-hmm. you start to become conscious of it and start to face it mm-hmm. and work with it. Then it te- So what happens is people, you see somebody get cut off and they react like a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. right and and that's exactly why because they're being gripped by a complex and they think that they're the ones that are choosing that Mm -hmm. reaction and so i think it's important for people listening to this to consider this idea that we talk about the ego as the i so whenever you say i anything i'm this i'm that you're using ego language and most people, when they think of the psyche in the West, think that the I is all that there is, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I always invite people to think of like, well, okay, have you ever engaged in self-sabotage behavior, have you ever done something and then afterward, like, why did I do that? Or done some, or known you didn't want to do something but done it anyway, mm-hmm. right? So all of those things are pointing to this idea that you're not the master in your own house. In young language, right? They're, they're, yeah, that there's, there's an
0: autonomous nature to that which you're not sure what's driving it,
1: right? And and the fact that this autonomous, this autonomy comes from the unconscious. I mean, that means you're not aware of it. And so it is this idea that it grips you from behind and you feel impelled by it. You're essentially carrying out the, um, the wishes of the complex. Mm-hmm. And it's helpful to think of them in terms of personality or archetypes because they do have a sort of autonomous nature. It's like they're driving towards something. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's interesting because... Oh shoot, I think I lost what I was about to say. Oh, so the more split off they become, the more autonomous they become.
0: Yeah. So I think this is, is... I think that this terminology, this like kind of exploration, is like the Jungian world's way of trying to make sense of trauma. You know, trauma research back in the nineteen. 19- early 1900s probably wasn't that popular and so Jung's association experiment where he was developing the theory of complexes was based on so he would hook somebody up to a galvanometer and um say a series of words and he would time someone's um would would say an association to that word. So they would say whatever comes to mind in association to that word. So he would measure the physiological response as well as the time it took somebody to respond. And the longer it took somebody to respond, that was indicating more propensity towards a complex. And then he would associate that with the physiological response. Mm -hmm. And so I think this was like the early workings of trying to understand trauma responses. Well, I think since 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like all the way up, there's been immense like neurophysiological research around the trauma world. But I think it's very materialistic. I think it's like basically just your brain's response Hmm. to an overwhelming experience to the physiology where you're not able to adapt and regulate yourself through it and that's kind of like the material um psychological perspective of trauma typically
1: but you do adapt the complex is what forms in your adaptation
0: so i think that jung's idea of this was trying to keep the soul involved Hmm. in navigating this experience of trauma and i think he did that, and, and Hillman kind of carried this forward with archetypal psychology of like sticking to the image. And so that's important in the theory of complexes because complexes have this personal shell to them that that, is expressed through the emotional response it's very personal to you how you react to one experience is going to be very different than how i react and so that's like the personal shell but at the center of every complex is going to be an archetypal pattern an archetypal image an archetypal um, nature and so that i think he was using to connect it to the deeper aspects of soul Mm -hmm. um so I think there's a bridge, right, that personal shell. Our physiological responses are going to vary. And I think there's been a lot of research in the neurophysiological space of what happens there. You kind of, like, frontal lobe goes, goes offline. You recede back into the limbic and the lizard brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but what arises in response, as you were saying, to that inability to adapt in a traumatic experience is going to be very particular to what that experience was Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And so we might have a ton of different archetypal patterns or images associated with relationships and love. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think
0: that's really important because... You know, depending, let's say that you had an absent mother and I had a devouring mother. Let's just use that. Mm-hmm. Well, your experience of relationship is going to be at least associated and connected to that absent mother. Mm-hmm. So you might feel this like compulsive need to move towards others. Whereas if I had a devouring mother, then I might feel this like physiological push away from others. And that's where it can actually connect we can connect these archetypal images to like attachment theory and all these these different new ideas that are emerging from like the eighties. Mm. Um well, I'd say earlier than the eighties, the fifties.
1: <laughs> right. And so as I understand it, the 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 process of working with a complex and like um, essentially draining its libido draining its life force draining its energy is you know as you start to open the complex up and and reflect on it talk about it bring it into the light you work through the personal element of it until you start to reach the archetypal element and then you're no longer you know and then your problems aren't necessarily with your birth mother but with the mother right mother mm-hmm. in general and mm-hmm. so as i understand it kind of goes like that um there's a good there's a good quote by jolanda jacoby in his book uh complex archetype symbol in the psychology of cg young and he said once consolated and actualized the complex can openly resist the intentions of the ego consciousness shatter its unity split off from it and act as an animated foreign body in the sphere of consciousness Accordingly Jung says everyone knows nowadays that people have complexes what is not so well known is that complexes can have us and and so i i only wanted to read that just to like reinforce this idea again that like when we're when at least in the conversation that we're having and talking about psyche the ego the i the you that you know yourself as is just one player in the full psychic drama that's playing out mm-hmm. right and so I just, that can't be overstated. I was talking to a guy just a few days ago and he said, you know, psyche knows all the right buttons to push. And I was like, well, no, psyche seeks wholeness. There's a certain complex that knows exactly the right buttons to push, right? To mm-hmm. to um, get control of the ego. And mm-hmm. those aren't the same, right? So
0: And it's interesting because, you know, cowshed talks about this. We're doing this book club with trauma and the soul and he really talks about the movement of psyche around trauma and complexes and these split off, dissociated parts and what once protected you in a moment of trauma, eventually, if left to the unconscious, becomes a persecutor. Mm. And that's like the really um, almost, I say tragic Um, part of this is because if you don't understand psychological dynamics outside of the eye, you're always at fault. (laughs) It's like it's always you and you're like, but I really want to have a relationship and I really want to love and I really want to show up, but it's also your fault Mm. that you can't do it.
1: Yes, right. And
0: that's really tragic because I think – it's not that we're blaming these psychological dynamics or these archetypes that form. It's more about getting in right relationship to them, but recognizing that if it's all you, that's like a really big burden to carry when it comes to moving towards wholeness.
1: Right, totally. Yeah, and also right in that, if it's you, when... when You're gripped by a complex and you don't show up in a way that you want to show up. If it's you... And you fall short of your own expectation of how you should show up well then the obvious answer is and this is the like what they call the Protestant cult of the ego that has grown in our kind of culture which is like that it's like okay then I need to get stronger I need to strengthen my ego I need more willpower Mm -hmm. and what you can end up doing is strengthening the ego against the unconscious Mm -hmm. and in that case the unconscious is going to get stronger and so the the swinging back and forth is actually going to get worse at some point. And what's even worse is it might be longer in between intervals, which mm-hmm. means that like, you really have convinced yourself that you've got it all under control and then it grabs you from behind and, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: takes you for a ride.
0: I would say just to kind of, again, just continue to circle around this. I'm sure we're saying the same things, but just uh-huh. repeating them in different ways. Uh-huh. But like to the extent that you think that you're the center of your whole personality is to the extent that there is this immense vacuous energy that's starting to pool in the unconscious Mm. and it takes the just right thing that maybe the just right relationship like you said someone cutting you off on your way home from work to like flip the switch so that vacuous pool of the unconscious swallows you in it Mm -hmm. and i think it's really important i just want to speak from you know working with trauma it's very important to make sure that there is adequate resource of the ego so where there's ground to stand on with the ego when you're working with complexes so it's almost like you're creating let's say that that Energy that's pooling in the unconscious is in the somatic experiencing world. We would call that the trauma vortex. In the Jungian word, you could call it the complex vortex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's whirling in the unconscious. Well, it's really important for the ego to have a counter vortex, and sometimes that counter vortex is just having a contained space, knowing that you're not alone as you're processing this complex. this trauma sometimes it's you know a particular feeling a feeling of feeling your feet on the ground it resources vary for every single person having a counter vortex and a resource does not mean you have power over the other vortex Hmm. it just means it's a it's a counter to the pool of the unconscious because the unconscious is actually quite dangerous if you don't have adequate resources. It can be really fragma- fragmenting. It can be it can cause a lot of dissociation. But like if you have resource, that's different than um, bolstering your sense of self on this false will hmm. over the unconscious. So creating a counter vortex and healing trauma and and uh, being in right relationship to complexes is more about. Um, balancing out the energy of the conscious and unconscious mm.
1: it sounds like some part of it is also about knowing you're okay right because because when you get pulled into a trauma vortex or into a complex right isn't it isn't part of the problem that the affect you're feeling isn't really associated with the world you're in right now and so when you when you create a well of resource for yourself it it's
0: it keeps you present
1: it keeps you present right
0: yeah okay. for sure um there's something else I wanted
1: to say well what that. does that look like in reality what, what does it look like in reality for someone to, to resource right
0: oh I, what I wanted to say before I answer that question was just to kind of put it out there is that we
1: that's the wind howling if you can hear that <laughs> in the background <laughs> We have a snowstorm coming in. It's 83 today, nine inches of snow tomorrow. <laughs> Welcome to Colorado.
0: Um, so, when you're working with complexes and you're working with trauma, it's not that the complex goes away, it's not that your trauma disappears. It's that you have the psychological capacity to be in the midst of it. Mm that's super important. It's not that the complex completely disappears. It's that you have, again, the counter vortex to help yourself through an experience of the complex or of trauma. And so what does this look like when we're um, maintaining resource? So for a lot of people in in our culture, I feel like the idea around working through these really uncomfortable states of affect is like, if we just kind of like cannonball into it and we like go there, then we'll like get through it and we'll have all this capacity. And what that looks like, resource is actually slowing down enough to know what your capacity is in the present moment. So when you're working with a an emotional response or a trauma response, that might look like spending just like a few seconds feeling the edge of that affect. So it's not like you're feeling into the deep rage that you have towards your absent mother. It's how do you know that you're even feeling rage starting there and then maybe what a resource would be like is well what's it like to know that you know how you feel that's Mm. a resource because it, it it creates presence in what is is moving through the system and you're not in that past moment with the absent mother, you're in the present moment with an emotional experience from the past. Mm. So I think that's, does that make sense?
1: It kind of sounds like the idea, and this is an idea of working with complexes, that you're trying to create an ego capable of suffering.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Because that's what it yes. sounds like to me is that like by going in and out of this, by like titrating the amount of suffering and feeling it and knowing where it is and where it's coming from, 100%.
0: and still
1: realizing you're okay, you're like slowly learning to suffer. You're learning to take that pain on in some sense.
0: Yes, because a lot of the parts of our ego that were fragmented or dissociated, a lot of the states that I work with are really young states. When I say young, I don't mean like, or when I would say like something like immature, I don't mean like that in a pejorative sense. I just mean like physiologically undeveloped. Right. And so I think a lot of people when they do get stuck in this kind of ego psychology, it's just them. They don't have an understanding that like this affect that they're feeling might be the affect of the three-month-old version of them. Mm. So it might feel like deep rage of an infant that is crying out for attention, but no one's there. And they don't understand why they would be feeling that because it doesn't make sense. But like complexes bring up the irrational. Mm. They don't make sense. And so I think you're right. It's not like you would go to a three-month-old and be like, feel all that rage at once. Right. It's about it is about titrating and helping the the ego develop into a greater, like I said, capacity to integrate, to self-soothe. And Mm. some people, it's not about self I mean it is self-soothing because I feel like, you know, the body has an incredible rhythmic capacity to to regulate itself if given the adequate container. But for a lot of people, they had to learn to self-regulate in destructive ways that had to like, that required them to split off the essence of them. Mm. And so, you know, for example, yesterday I was in a session and I could see that this, my client was really struggling with all this affect that was coming through, like really, really struggling. And I said to her, I was like, hey, listen, listen. If this feels like too much for you, why don't you hand over to me all of it that doesn't feel tolerable? You can keep a little bit that feels like you can handle, but like I'll be here to hold the mm. parts that that you feel like you can't hold right now. You don't have to do this by yourself. I don't think that that's the story that a lot of people are telling themselves. They feel like they have to kind of like figure this out, regulate, self-soothe, and actually the healing is being able to hand to trust someone enough to hand over that which they cannot handle, mm. um, and so that's where I think relationship becomes a really healing container. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like the natural predisposition of the psyche is to kind of offload that feeling, like to try to get rid of it in some sense, so whether that's repression, suppression. Uh, bypassing, just like get rid of this feeling, um, and the the thing about that, it like Michael Mead talks about this idea that our wounds become a, the sacred center where everybody else can find healing again. Mm-hmm. And this idea that like go that that our wounds are divine in a way that they open us up to the divine that they open us up to transformation to what life's trying to do through us and if we don't have the ability to tolerate and be with them then that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and so then it's just this thing that's off in the background all the time and grips us when we're when the you know conditions are right and then Mm -hmm. um so just something interesting because i mean all of my transform that's that's kind of where i have a Uh, you know, I was thinking about the difference between growth and healing and whether I think there is one. And I'm like, man, the catalyst for almost all of my transformations have come through facing some wound Mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and what's interesting is when you start to work with a complex, I've noticed that when you do, even if it's like incredibly uncomfortable and it is, (laughs) there's a you get this like influx of energy and to me it feels like it's the energy that was contained in that complex or something
0: mm-hmm. i'll
1: notice after analysis or something when i face something particularly tough or you know you just happen upon it and and start to talk about it and then all this affect all this emotion comes up and you work with it in the moment but then you know i'm driving home and i'm like whoa like i have this like sense Space. of this like yeah is that it it's like a renewed energy almost
0: yeah, I think that's really common when you're like titrating the energy out of complexes. Um, I think this is a kind of an important point to start to bring up projection a bit because this energy feels so foreign, especially if we spend our whole life trying to dissociate it or repress it. Mm. Well, at some point it's probably going to well back up. And because it feels so foreign... The strategy that a lot of us use is to like project it outwards onto other people, our partners, the collective, Mm -hmm. whatever, to try to offload some of that energy. Yeah. Right? So it's like, okay, that's too much. I'm going to project it out onto my partner and they are the person that's this way and... I, mean, I think but that's, that's
1: not conscious just to be clear
0: no that's the unconscious strategy and it's interesting because I think that there's wisdom in that in particular because you're trying to like find center by offloading some energy but we do have to be conscious of that because oftentimes what you're talking about here, I think is when we offload it onto other people then we lose the essence of what's in the complex. Hmm. We lose the capacity for our own transform like the the gold in the wound. Hmm. So if we keep projecting outwards, it's like our transformation, the capacity for transformation also goes with it. Hmm. And so I think when we're able to stay with our complexes and titrate the energy appropriately and channel the energies into different ways instead of just projecting it outwards, we pull back the projection and increase our tolerance to be with it. I think that energy gets moved into our healing process, our transformation process, as opposed to the process of disconnect. Mm. It's like it, it gets channeled into deeper connection with self. And if there's a deeper connection with self, there's more capacity to be with that which is not self.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. I, I, that bring, a lot. <laughs> I bring out the idea of this all being an unconscious process because for me, I, I'm not even kidding, I think contemplating the idea of projection in itself has been one of the most illuminating things in my life. To realize the way that my psychic world is showing up on the people around me. And that actually, it's like a sort of, for me, it's a constant reminder that I don't know this person. Right. I don't know them. Not really. I know me and I'm seeing me. And if I can surrender to that and I can open up to the fact that I, that's true for you. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you and I go on these, we have our weekends at school where we're having lectures for three straight days. You know, it's really important for me. I'm realizing to realize like in the morning to tell myself, like, I don't know this person. Like Mm -hmm. they're changing. They're, they're not the picture I have of them, you know? Mm And one, it's way easier to be with whatever's coming up for you because it's like, oh, that's what they're like right now, you know, that's what's coming <laughs> up. And also two, it's making me realize the degree to which I do project my inner world onto you. And, you know, where that shows up is say I have a a complex around the mother, right? And by the way, this isn't this is everybody. You know, we all have mother and father complexes and mm-hmm. what they look like, as you said, is individual. But but if I have a certain complex, right whatever my predisposition is toward that mother complex, you might very easily end up carrying. Mm-hmm. And now my partner <laughs> is uh, you know whatever it is, a witch or whatever whatever is going on in my complex. You know? Well, that's
0: interesting, right? because that if I end up carrying your projection of this complex, um. There's all kinds of different ways that it can show up. But if I carry it willingly, typically I, it could show up as me just acting as if I'm your mother in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking care of you and you're being nurtured and you're being like held with all this love. But if I say like, kind of put a psychic boundary up and I say that like that's your shit, mm-hmm. right? So I don't carry it. That's where it typically flips and I become the witch, Mm. I become the evil feminine, because I'm not playing out the fantasy of your complex. And it's really pulling back projections isn't, I mean, it's more about being with what that's like for you in that moment, right? That's kind of how you catch the complex a bit. Instead of Focusing on the superficial kind of story of like, oh, Danielle did this and she what didn't show up for me in this way. It's more, what was that like for me? And being with the emotion held in that and then typically you're closer to the complex mm. than you would if you were focusing on like the kind of superficial level of the outer world story. Yeah, yeah. You're focusing on how the inner world is affected by the outer world and that's the way that you can kind of, quote unquote, catch a complex.
1: Right. And now what makes this even more difficult is that we tend to attract people in this (laughs) way that is like, you know, like you become the mother that I'm projecting onto you and I become the... Father. The father, yeah. Or whatever it is. And so these like dynamics are going back and forth in the exact way that we've been wounded. Like that just tends to be how we attract people. I've I've noticed. Um, And then, you know, it's really cool because as you start to pull those projections back again, like waking up to the fact that this is uh, like, I think I'm, I'm struggling for words right here, but like this idea that like any single human is so unfathomably interesting and complex. And if you can allow them to be who they are and see them for that, Mm-hmm. There's something really, really incredible about that. Um, to not see them for your projections. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we can only love people around our complexes, part of this is because when you're gripped by a complex, you're not you. All things aren't equal. And so you're not free. You're not free at all. There is no free will in that in that space when you're gripped by a complex. And so and so you can't love people because, It's not, you're not there, so to speak, right?
0: (laughs) It reminds me of this Marion Woodman quote. She said, I forget exactly what it was. I'll probably butcher it. But like, she was like, you know, it's it's about who you become when you realize that you've been sleeping with mommy and daddy for the last 20 years. Mm. You know, when you recognize that like, a okay, lot of the stuff...
1: Pretty Freudian. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, a lot of the stuff in relationship of our early childhood um, wounding patterns gets played out in relationships because that's where relational blueprints are formed. And it's really interesting because, like, you know, I've certainly been in this dynamic where I was projecting all of this... this This fantasy of this, who this person was, out onto somebody else. And what was held within that was all of my sense of power, Mm. like feeling empowered. And it's so interesting because I would rather have been in that fantasy than learn to wield my own power because it was so scary to mm. learn what it was like to be a powerful human being. And I think that mm. that's true so much in relationships, at least the people that I work with, is there's this fantasy, this image of who they're with and it is nowhere near the actual human being that they're with.
1: Mm. Yeah, and then right and then the question becomes like how do you react when reality puts like pokes through your projection right because that's a really difficult thing and that's a, that is part of why i think having this kind of language to me is like life-changing right because mm-hmm. like we've talked about this often but we talked about this one moment like we were living in denver and we had been together for like a year or less than a year or something Almost a year. year and a half Okay. When we when this happened, I think it was a little bit earlier. But in any case, we're we're sitting on the couch and I have this projection of you that you're this like put together person and that you don't struggle and that you're not suffering with things like every other human is, you know? And I can't remember what happened, but we were watching a lecture on YouTube.
0: A Brene Brown lecture on uh, shame.
1: Yeah. And then you just were like I looked over and you were just like crying, like it, it just hit me so hard in that moment of yeah. like Oh man, I I have no idea what's happening right now. And that like I hated that, right? It's like why don't you know why she's like and and it's not that I should know why you're crying, but just I didn't know you were a person that cried. And again, that sounds ridiculous, but to but to that's the power of projections. It's all unconscious. It's not like I'm if, mm-hmm. if I'm taking a quiz and they were like does Daniel cry? I would say yes, but it's not really like that. It's like you have all these unconscious assumptions. In the 70s, there's this thing called social efficiency theory that got really popular, which is we take an image of what we think somebody is, we put that image on them, and we never see them for anybody else again because it's a lot easier. There's social efficiency and just being able to keep you as a category
0: than have mm-hmm. to see
1: you as a nuanced, intricate human being. Mm-hmm. right? And, and so...
0: And like just kind of feeding off that example how disorienting it is for your psychology to see that projection fall right right like what wells up in you when you recognize that i'm not who you thought i was you know you would like traditionally in relationships that only comes out when there's like this sense of like betrayal Right? Yeah. You're not who I thought you were. Well, no one, no one is who you think that they are. For real. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I I think that's really interesting because again, that's the opportunity to start asking the questions of like, what's happening in me at this moment when this, the, the image of this person, the idea that I had of this person isn't matching reality. Mm -hmm. Like what happens in me?
1: And that's why I'm saying, I think having this language is so helpful because like when that experience happened, I didn't have this language and I felt like, oh fuck, I don't know Helpless and powerless. Yes.
0: And then what does that constellate? All the moments in your life where you felt helpless and powerless. Mm -hmm. And so what typically happens is we have like maybe a savior complex or a hero complex. And it's like, well, I'm going to get up on my horse and grab my shield and protect her. But actually, in that, you're not even meeting me in my vulnerability. You're just doing the old strategy that you did in the old moments when you felt helpless and powerless. Right. So that's how complex
1: it's worked. That's exactly right. That's exactly how they work. <laughs> and so, and so, this idea that we can only love people around them is is part of that. Is you know, people have a desire to be seen, and it's not even a desire. It's it's intricate for the flourishing of soul it's it's, it's very important that you got seen and not just that you're seen but like you're seen when you struggle and that you're seen when you flourish and that you're seen for what lights you actually up and not whatever projection i have of you and so again part of this idea that we can only love people around our complex is because we because while we're gripped by a complex we can't fucking see the person And if they can't be seen, they are not feeling loved. I promise you that.
0: That's why I want to write this book. The Tragedy of the Unseen Soul. Mm. Because I think it's tragic. Yeah. It truly is a tragedy for how many people. Like, I don't even know if we could do, like, percentage-wise of people that actually feel seen in this world. Mm -hmm. But I would say it it would maybe be, like, 15%. You know, I think it would be a very small percent of people that operate from a place of being seen and being loved for well, who they are, the it, essence of who they are.
1: And I think those moments where that does happen really stick out to us, right? So before I had all of this language, and if you were to ask me about some of the most important times of my life... You know, I would point to like an all-night conversation with a friend or something like that that I had, where like for a moment all the masks were down and we were just there connecting and could Mm -hmm. actually see each other in that time. You know, and and so those experiences, those people that do see us, they become incredibly valuable to us, like incredibly.
0: um, That brings to mind this question that I ask people um, when they've gone through. A session and they've done incredibly hard courageous work of like going into uncomfortable stuff finding resource going into uncomfortable stuff finding resource and one of the questions that I think really kind of takes people back is what's it like for you to be seen in that in that space of discomfort hmm. And they're almost like always kind of like disoriented by the question. But if they actually tap into what, yeah, it's scary because that's new. And I don't know if I've ever felt that. Mm. But like there's this comforting feeling. It's like exhale and like finally take a deep breath. Like that to me is just incredible. Mm. Of like what it does to the physiology to actually be seen and to be met for the truth of the experience as opposed to just the fantasy right right i think fantasies are important because i think they're an attempt at psyche to self-regulate but i without consciousness without awareness without
1: well and without reality
0: yeah without a connection to the here and now right i think that they can be pretty dangerous
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. they can be an escape right too I mean, Mm -hmm. there's that too. It's like we can escape our whole lives into fantasy without ever facing the shit that really hurt us. Mm
0: -hmm. And the
1: thing about that that sucks the most is there's part of us that we have left in that experience.
0: A hundred percent. That's why I think it's really... Mm -hmm. It's really not about the experience itself. It's about what part of you got left in that experience. Yes, as you 100%. Said. Yes. Like, I think Peter Levine, it's, it's the quote I read the other day. It's like, trauma is not what happens to you. It's what's left in the body when you didn't have an empathetic witness to help you through that. Hmm. And so this, the body creates either this like complete like gap where there's nothing there. And what was there was what is left in the experience. Or there's all this like knotted, fragmented shit that like is tangled up because of that experience because you didn't have someone to help you regulate it.
1: Mm -hmm. And figure out what it is, right? That like tangled, like there's a, I think with men a lot this happens. I'm noticing a lot with my clients too. Like we, it presents as a kind of undifferentiated madness and it's like, fuck this. Like, but once you start to peel the feeling apart, like what it, where it is in the body and what it actually feels like and maybe even where you experienced that feeling in the past and you can start to look at it. That starts to just doing that, right? Just turning toward it creates a bit of objectivity mm-hmm. from it. And so all of a sudden it's not drowning you anymore. And you didn't do anything besides look at it.
0: That I think that is part of working with complexes is taking this undifferentiated raw affect and creating different piles of emotion. Totally. Okay, so you're feeling this anger here and you're feeling a lump in your throat and you're feeling fear in your gut. Like, so you're like really uncoupling things that are like held together really tight. Yes. Or you're pulling things back together that were fragmented apart.
1: Yeah, right. And what happens too so often it seems like is when those things are overcoupled. Like, and I mean, I essentially have learned this, I think, from just talking to you, but like this idea that when things are overcoupled, you know, for me, for example, following my sort of passion, and I don't know if that's the right word, but like really stepping into purpose in my life is really overcoupled with negative emotion. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, like, push-pull that happens when that when that's the case because you mm-hmm. step toward what you want and you're instantly presented with a emotion you don't want and mm-hmm. they're, like, over-coupled, linked together in your psyche and you have to, like, really work to pull those apart.
0: Yeah, so you have your foot on the gas and your foot on the brake at the same time. Totally. Well, psyche. The body has the foot on the gas and psyche has the foot on the brake because it's, like you have to process this foot on the brake stuff before you can go Mm. or you're going to outrun the truth.
1: Mm. Yeah. So we're 46 minutes in. Is there anything um, left that you think we should address if if we don't or that we
0: haven't? So the topic is loving people around our complexes. Yeah. I feel like we talked about complexes and trauma a lot. We
1: have to, though. I mean, they're such, um, first of all, they're complex. Um, Which is why they're named that. And second of all, like if you...
0: I think we should talk about the... um, Because I think it kind of gets confusing when we're talking about projection because it feels like it's almost like escaping your body and going into somebody else. But I think we need to talk about like maybe like it's kind of like the projector lens, right? It's almost like you put like a different lens on. So the way that you see is different and that's part of the projection. Does that make sense?
1: I think so. Can you say more about it?
0: Um, you know, the way that we were describing projection is is, oh, this affect, this energy is too much in me, so I'm going to act as if they have it. They're the angry person, right? But I think it's important that, like, that doesn't necessarily mean they are carrying that right it's almost like we've put glasses on
1: Mm. like
0: we're seeing things differently right right as opposed to them actually carrying our stuff some people totally unconsciously willingly carry our projections and they do carry them
1: yeah until they're sick of it right like that's what happens in the dynamic of relationship that we were talking about Right. right it's like she'll be your mom for a while but like she doesn't want a kid she wants a partner and at some point that's gonna be get old,
0: right? And so, I think it's like the moment. Let's use that example, right? So you're like seeing your wife through these mother complex glasses, mm-hmm. right? The moment she takes that projection and like connects to her her boundaries or her rage about it, and just says "fuck this," like. It's almost like she comes up to you and pulls the glasses off mm. and it's like, are you scrambling to just find another pair of glasses to look at the world from or are you willing to do your work to actually see what is?
1: I think a lot of times that presents, the, the dropping of projection presents to people like betrayal. Mm-hmm. if
0: like they
1: feel betrayed by that person or something mm-hmm. and then they go find a new projector screen a new person to carry the projection or to put it on
0: well it's interesting because again that's a projection they feel betrayed by that person when actually I think it is like the betrayal of reality mm-hmm. like kind of like this existential experience totally. and I think that like that's that's feels really young to me too mm. it's like all oh, this this um young psychic experience doesn't know how to be with the suffering mm. of life right Of the betrayals that are inherent in life
1: right right yeah what i notice something in me is that like when i when i start to see the reality this is kind of what i was saying about like the infinite complexity of an individual once you start to see them beyond the projection for me there start starts to be like a yearning for reality of like wanting to know like wanting to witness what's real and see it unfolding in that moment. and mm-hmm. and, and when it doesn't have the sting of betrayal, there's something really sweet about it. you know
0: Yeah, I I think that that longing, you said yearning. yeah, but I think that longing is I think that's an archetypal experience. The longing to see and be seen. Hmm. I think that is is really. I mean, you could connect that to a, a lot of like spiritual paths as well. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, but I think that there's a really common pattern in that. That most people, when they're working through projections, feel that, and they're kind of like crucified a bit mm-hmm. because on one hand, it's like you know I've talked. To about this with my analyst about how good projections feel Mm. like it really feels good to like Like good like comforting it feels like when you've like maybe idealized somebody or or projected something of of your own nature on somebody it feels kind of nice because you don't have to take responsibility for it in yourself and it's like this like really nice feeling so you kind of have that on one side but then there's this like pushing up of the psyche on the other where mm-hmm. it's like, nope, take responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> Live into that. And it feels like you're kind of crucified between these like, because I think they're taking responsibility is beneath that. That's the longing to see and be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side, it's like kind of this like, oh, but I just, you know. Kind of want to float in this like paradisical illusion, mm-hmm. and I think we're often crucified between those two experiences. Totally, and I think that we have to, especially when we're pulling back projection. You don't have to pull it back all at once. It's a slow titration, right? You're you're teaching the psyche to be in the the. I love the word that my professor uses often, the gravitas of being a human being, like Mm. the existential weight of living into that sea and being seen. Mm. Like that's, I mean, if you really connect to that, that's heavy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of like the human experience. Um, Yeah. And so it makes sense why people would want to live in that like kind of lighter illusion, like illusion, Mm-hmm. place but I think that it's it's about holding both
1: well you know you always you hear in like when you research like awakening and enlightenment that like there's always you always come across something like you'll wake up when you want to when you're ready to and that always frustrates me because I'm like bitch I'm ready like let's wake up you know mm-hmm. I, I want to do this thing uh, let's touch the infinite but like actually no there's there is a yearning for, there's that desire in you for illusion, you know? Mm -hmm. And actually what's interesting is like feeding into that desire for reality helps me. Mm -hmm. Like feeling into that of like, oh, I actually want this. I want to experience what this is like. Mm -hmm. And then I guess to bring it full circle, when you do that and you suffer, you're simultaneously learning to love. And that's what's really interesting is like this you know uh, Ken Wilber says there's only two great paths to transformation great love and great suffering but like the inside joke to me is that they're the same path it mm-hmm. is suffering that teaches you to love it is what breaks your heart open that opens it that makes mm-hmm. it more expansive you know and mm-hmm. and uh, you can only love to the depth and degree to which you can suffer and so and so it is the pulling back the the realizing of the projection the realizing of well, my partner's struggling in reality and I don't really know how to be them for, and that, if I can hold that suffering, that's going to crack me open. And -hmm. that's actually how I'm going to learn how to be there for you.
0: Well, what does that cracking open do? Coming back to something that we circled around again, it creates space. Mm -hmm. And when there's space in the psyche, typically there is more space for meaning, for order, there's mm-hmm. meaning in it all. We just can't see it when there's no space. Mm. So when there's space there, I think that's where like things start to like kind of like get back in that rhythmic capacity and that that rhythmic nature of being. What whether it's up or down or bad or good or right or wrong. Like there's an inherent meaning in that mm-hmm.
1: nature. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and I think when there's space, that's where meaning starts to like really kind of coagulate and it starts to like really you internalize it Mm -hmm. and that helps the process move along
1: yeah totally we were in a discussion and the question came up to the group a group of us about like what we would recommend or what was it it was like what we would say the people I'm struggling because I can't remember the question right now. It was something like, what do you think everyone ought to do? What do you think people should do? And we were struggling with that. And I personally struggle with that because I've seen so many of my projections fail. I really understand that. I do not know what people need. I do not have people's no. answers. And I don't know anything.
0: Well, it's interesting to but, ask like where that question's coming from. Because anything that's like an ought is coming from that like hard hand of the father. The well, it's citurian. coming from
1: the rejection of reality in some sense. Right. And I think that's what I struggle with. But at the more I thought with it, you know, the more I sat with it and thought about it, I was thinking, like, well, you know, everyone ought to figure out what's pulling the levers behind their psyche because until they do that, they don't know who they are and mm-hmm. they don't know who other people are. Mm-hmm. And that, like, to bring it full circle of like, well, <laughs> you don't
0: best do it's accepting that you don't know who you are. Right. Like, I don't know what's pulling these lovers. I don't know what's going to pull them tomorrow. And I think it's more of an acceptance of like, you're probably not going to fully know that.
1: And that well, so that's what makes complexes so hard for our culture. I think is like this idea that we're supposed to know the modern person's supposed to have the answer. Mm-mm. You're supposed to know what you want. You're supposed to know the answer to things. If you're a boss, you're definitely, you know, that's the illusion side. Right. That's the illusion side. Right. And then I guess, so then the, the other
0: side would be truth. I have no idea.
1: Yes, right. But man, in that truth too, is that's where curiosity is. And totally. That's where creativity is. And, and that's where it starts to open. That's where compassion is, right? There's the recognition of mutual blindness. And through that, we can learn to see together, right? So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't think you have to call them complexes, but to open up to the idea that perhaps, again, that you're not the master in your own house and that if all things... You know, and again, you only have to look to say, okay, if all things were equal, is there any times where I haven't acted in ways I've wanted to act?
0: Oh, I that that's a perfect segue into one of the last things I want to say is a conversation on dreams. So Jung said that complexes were the architects of dreams. Well, that's a perfect arena where you can see where you act like you don't want to be. Yeah. And that's a perfect mirror into your complexes acting mm. through symbolic images. Mm. So I mean look no farther than your dream images.
1: Right. Right. I mean that's loaded because I don't want to get into a conversation about dream interpretation but
0: No but I think that it's important to recognize like I ask that question to people who are kind of locked in that like I am the center of everything. I create all my experiences like they kind of get a little eh when I I ask them questions about like well do do you create your emotions? Mm. But like a better question is like do you create your dreams at night? Well, who does then mm. and that at least opens up the space to have a curiosity of like well shit i don't know
1: yeah there's more going on anyway. yeah. yeah yeah um and so to the degree that you can liberate yourself from these things that are pulling the levers is to the degree that you can love people and be connected to your life connected to other people the world around you and, and yourself yeah perfect cool thanks guys